Join together as we sing Everlasting God. How is everybody? Good. The greatest thing we can do is gather together, and uh, just just not on Sundays, but throughout the week is so important. And uh, I think, according to the Word of God, what I see is uh, the way uh, the Bible says, "Forsake not the assembling of yourselves." Uh, if we're not, we're out of the will of God. 
Relationship is where it's at. Satan uses alone and unattended, isolation, people are depressed. So I have a whole opportunity of things for each one of us to do. Nobody's left out. Family prayer night. Jesus himself said, my house is a house of prayer. So we can gather. If you can't be here or you're nervous about restrictions and, and COVID, that type of thing, it's, it's Tuesday, January 26th at 530. You know, God hears your prayers in, in your living room, in your family room. I get it. But there's nothing like, um, there's just nothing like gathering and getting a hug from Randy Christian. I'll tell you, it's the best thing ever, ever going. Men's gather and grub. I think that should be uh, men's grub and gather because men gather to eat. And I think we're, uh, we're talking about some stuff today. Bill's in charge of that. Bill suggested that for dessert, we take a cube of butter, insert a corn dog stick, and roll it in white sugar. Now, that's a man's dessert. January 27th, the doors open at 6, and it, it's open, guys. It, it really is open. So bring your hinky brother-in-law. Bring your next-door neighbor, your co-worker, someone that needs to see real people living real lives with a real God. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for them to see the deal. Craftsman ministry. Monday, February 1st is when it begins. If you have questions, talk to Jacob Tritt. He may talk over your head. <laughs> He's very good at what he does. But just nod your head and smile, and you will learn as you gather with Jacob. I think his pop's going to be there. Yep, his pop's going to be there. Ladies Crafts Night. Monday, February 8th at 6.30. It says, come join the ladies as we try our hand at painting. Is that walls or rooms or no? It says, bring a snack to share. So join the ladies. Now, all this information is in your bulletin, and it's on the website. So if I'm talking quickly or what have you, it's there's a backup. Or if you need, call Julie. She's always good for a conversation. But the website and the bulletin uh, will actually re-steer you back through it. Laugh your way to a better marriage. February 13th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., lunch will be served. Now, I got to tell you something. This is a great program because... God designed marriage, and God designed marriage as an exercise of surrender and submission. We have to choose every day. When our, when our eyelids go up, we have to choose to partner with our spouse and to honor God in all that we do. We choose that. And the best thing, see, I like this type of stuff, laugh your way to a better marriage. Because we take ourselves so personal. And so serious. And so we, think, we, we personalize everything and take offense to everything, or some of us do. So basically, this teaches us um, to lighten up and to laugh and enjoy each other and look at God's design and God's uh, creation in and around marriage. 
what a husband is, what a dad is, what a wife is, what a mom is, and then get it together. And I'll tell you, um, I'm trying to think. I didn't doze off. I've been married for 48 years now. I just had to count. But um, I got to tell you something. Uh, it gets better every year when you do it God's way. I mean, she is a gift from God, and, and I want everybody to learn that. I mean, she is my bride, and uh, I still struggle. I still struggle on a day-to-day -day basis, but I, I know what God wants. So anyway, all that being said, there's something for everybody to do, so do it. So uh, there's also um, the winter retreat. Uh, he, he didn't forget I was supposed to announce it after he left. Um, so yeah, it's the Grow Winter Retreat. It's happening at Camp Bear Paw um, on that same weekend. So parents, send your kids away, and we're going to have a great time while you guys enjoy the Lap Your Way to a Good Marriage. And um, we're not going to be going to the ski hill this year just due to regulations and things like that. Um, but the hope is we'll still get to have fun at the camp. We'll still get a chance to be together and enjoy each other, as well as possibly even go to the Camus Center. So th there's still a lot of things that we're sorting out even now, but I'm letting you guys know in advance so that if you guys want to get involved, uh, the age is middle school to high school. Sweet. So that also includes me. So if you guys want to go, just let me know. You can come talk to me, and we'll get you guys signed up. Won't you all join us as we jump into our next song, Are You Washed in the Blood?
Father, we do need you every single day, and uh, I pray that today as we wrestle with the reality of you, the God, the only God, who went to the cross for us and went through all the suffering that you did for us, Father, it's, it's too big and too, <laughs> it's just too big, Father, and um, I wrestle with it every single week in the moments of my despair and the moments of my um, feelings of worthlessness, you remind me of the cross and <laughs> that reality, Father, of you dying for each and every one of us shows and proves that your eyes don't look on worse, worthless things, but as precious children of God that he desperately, desperately wants us to recognize our place in his arms. And so, Father, remind us of that today um, and teach us your word and what you want to say, Father, not just what we feel or what we think. Reveal to us through your Holy Spirit and what Shane has to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, you, kids are going down for nursery. You are dismissed. Look at all those little ones. Isn't that awesome? <clears throat> you guys read ahead? All right, well, it may be a surprise, but we're in Mark. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Uh, we're looking at G Jesus' crucifixion today. And, um, you know, normally I try and come up with an application or some some kind of illustration that ties into that, and I've been wrestling through that process, and I thought, at no point have I been betrayed, suffered the wrath of God, and crucified, and so any illustration I might have would be very insignificant and, and pale in comparison to the suffering that Christ is going through today, to the, to the injustice that is happening for him today. Um, 
because even when we think about times that we've been uh, um, mistreated or or targeted in our lives, um, at no point could I say in my life that I was innocent and somehow not justified in, in having something happen in, uh, that uh, <laughs> normally I probably I'm the most unhappy with when I make bad decisions and then those catch up to me and I have to deal with them, right? And uh, so no illustration, no no, no point this morning to try and draw our, our eyes away from the reality of what's happening, but let's just jump into the text this morning and watch and see um, what happens to our Lord and Savior, to Jesus. And then um, my hope is when we end today, at least what happened for me, uh, as I finished off the week this week, I found myself very encouraged, and I'm, I'm hoping you will find yourself in the same spot as we look at the text and, and we walk through it this morning. So turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning, and so um, <clears throat> if you don't have that, that you will understand why yours looks a little different than mine. Mark chapter 20, or 15, verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified, <clears throat> those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Um, it, the interesting aspect of having Simon drug into that, the, um, one of the, the thoughts was, it was just, here's Simon, who we don't see anything about anywhere else in Scripture, uh, and one of the commentators that I was looking at this week actually suggested that it's possible that um, Alexander and, and uh, the, this, the father of this young man may have been somebody known by the church, or maybe that's why they gave him a title. They, they weren't really sure, but it's typically expected that the individual carrying uh, the, the, the bow for their cross or the, the, the arms for the cross, that they would carry that to their point of crucifixion. And um, the emphasis in this being that Jesus was in such poor physical condition at this point from the flogging and the, the abuse that he had taken that he was unable to continue to carry that. Uh, and so they grabbed a servant or somebody standing by and put the cross on him and had him carry it to the completion, to the point of the crucifixion to Golgotha. One of the things that I think is so profound about this text, uh, I've started a study in Psalms, and that's what I'm part of my years reading this year, is to uh, read through the book of Psalms and to spend some time studying in Psalms. And it just so happened that this last week I run into Psalm 22, which is a, this phenomenal psalm. And I don't think it's a just so happened. I, I don't believe God does just so happens. Um, 
I, I believe that I'm in this text preparing for Sunday, and I read Psalm 22 in the beginning part of this week. And what you're going to notice, I want to take a few minutes and, and, and re- hopefully help us to open our eyes to see how spectacular this moment is in time um, and, and in the scope of time. Because the first point that we're going to see in this text, um, Jesus is suffering, and there's great suffering happening here, and we're going to look at some more of that reality next week as we finish up the crucifixion. But in this particular spot, I want to take a moment and look at the prophecy that's fulfilled here in this text, just for us to get a little bit of a scope of what's going on. Um, It's horrible what Jesus is going through, but God the Father was aware of it, was, was involved in this process, and I believe um, prophesied about it ahead of time. Turn to Psalm 22. We're going to read just a couple of passages out of that. And then you and I, you can help me, and we'll identify some of the things that we see in the Gospel of Mark. You'll also notice that if you go to another, any of the other Gospel writers, they all tell a little bit, uh, get, add different pieces of detail. And we're going to grab a few of those this morning. But Mark has a very just matter-of-fact way of, of laying out what happens here. Um, but he points to a couple of key things. In Psalm 22, starting in verse 6, it says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And in verse, uh, Psalm 22, verse 16, it says this, For dogs encompass me. A, couple of e- a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I have counted all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing cast lots. And one of the spectacular things about this uh, this is King David writing this text, which they didn't even have crucifixion, wasn't even part of the process yet. So to, to reference that they're pierced his hands and his feet is, is an interesting thing. But if you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, we're not going to look at it this morning, but just you can write it down and go check it out yourself. But Matthew in the genealogy actually lays out that there's 28 generations between David and Jesus. 28 generations. So, if, I mean... Try and do the math. Go back that far. This was written about Jesus and clearly about Jesus. Do you see all the things that are happening in Psalm 22 that are happening to Jesus right now? His hands and feet are pierced. They're casting lots uh, for his garments. They're wagging their heads. They're insulting him. They're doing all of these things that are happening uh, right here to Jesus that are referenced specifically. Almost word for, it's amazing how accurately in Psalm 22. Now, do I think David was suffering in Psalm 22? Absolutely. I think he was writing about real life things in his own life. But as he writes, um, he, he prophesies by the hand of God what's going to be coming for Jesus himself. And so there's a, there's a bit of me that as I read, read that process, I'm like, man, you guys, we can trust God. Some of you are almost convinced. I think by the time we get to the end this morning, I I hope you will be as convinced as I am. But if God's able to do all of this, to set all of this up in place, and and to have all of this planned ahead of time and prophesy about his coming Messiah, his son, 28 generations ahead of time, 
He's not surprised by what we're experiencing today. He's not surprised by any of the medical issues that come up in our lives. He's not surprised about the conflicts and the difficulties that we run into. He knows the opportunities for growth that you and I will each face. His hands and feet are pierced, it says in Psalm 22. They're casting lots for his clothing. We see the insults in Matthew 27. It's, it's very interesting. I, I find the irony of some of the things that happen in here uh, encouraging again. Matthew 27, verse 42. This is Matthew's account of the crucifixion, and we're just going to pick up the end of it because it's amazing. You'll, I hope you'll see it in reference to Psalm 22. Matthew chapter 27, verse 42 says this, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Did you see what, what they said, what, the, the, what they're actually the, the uh, insults that they're saying? He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. Isn't that amazing? Even in Psalm 22, we actually see that exact insult referenced by David in Psalm 22. Isn't that incredible, you guys? 28 generations beforehand, and we see the details of this moment in history laid out so clearly in the Psalms. Sometimes I don't think we understand what we have in the Scripture. Sometimes I think we feel like we, we treat it as if it's a good ideas book. It's got principles. It's things that my parents liked. And yet here we have recorded this amazing prophecy about what's coming. And did you catch what they said? If you come down off the cross, then we'll believe in you. What had Jesus done up to that point? Miracle after miracle after miracle. Miracles that the guy, that people were standing around going, nobody does these things. Nobody's healed a man born blind. Nobody healed somebody born deaf. Nobody raised anybody from the dead. That's a pretty big one. But if he comes down off the cross right now, we'll believe in him. We don't do that with Jesus, do we? Lord, if you help me with this one thing, then I'll live obediently, I promise. If you let me win the lottery, I'll give lots to the church. Any of you ever said that? <laughs> I'm jokingly, my bride says, well, you'd have to meet him halfway and go probably go buy a lottery ticket if you're really going to put that to the test, but I don't. So partly because he knows my heart. But do we ever do that? Do we ever look at what Jesus is showing us in the Word of God? And we're, Just one more thing, Jesus, just a little bit more. If, if you could just do this thing for me, then I'll believe you. Then I will trust you. Isn't it interesting that as Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies in his suffering, uh, Pilate actually writes the, the charge that's being held against him. We, we actually see that in the text. 
um, and, and he specifically says the king of the Jews. In fact, what's, in, what's very amazing about all this, one of the spots that we know another prophecy that was, was written about him uh, is in Isaiah chapter 9. We do this at Christmas. We read this text because it's prophesying the coming king of, uh, of Israel. And it says this in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see in Isaiah this prophesied king of the Jews. And here on the inscription, it literally says the king of the Jews. That's what he's being indicted for. That's, That's the crime that he has committed, is that he's claimed to be the king of the Jews, which is very interesting uh, in fact, if you look in John, John gives a little bit more detail. It's a big deal to the, to the chief priests and the, the scribes because look, look in John chapter 19, verses 19 through 22. We actually see the interchange of, of conversation between the Pharisees and Pilate. Uh, starting in verse 19 of John 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And they left that charge up there. They did it in Aramaic, in Latin, in Greek, made sure everybody could read it. Isn't it interesting that Pilate, who thought Jesus was innocent, who we saw just uh, last week, uh, knew that the Pharisees had an issue of pride, that they were, they were jealous of Jesus and the people that were following him, and so they knew it was a political thing that was happening. And here Pilate leaves the inscription, the king of the Jews. And it was correct. Isn't that incredible? Jesus is dying for being the king of the Jews. He's dying for showing them miracles and showing them that he was sent by God, revealing to them the prophesied word about his coming, teaching them things that they'd never seen before. And the chief priest and the people were the ones who just hours before this shouted, crucify. Jesus is definitely suffering in this moment. And we know from the text, it's one of the, one of the most amazing things, is that Jesus is suffering for our sins. Um, First Peter tells us uh, that, and, and it kind of explains uh, what, what's happening right here. And I think it's, it's just a great reminder uh, to, to look at. So uh, in First Peter chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were all straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I I think as we go through the text, one of the things we have to keep in our heads, in our hearts, in our minds, is that Jesus suffered not for sin, not for doing anything wrong, but for our sin. He bore the weight of our transgressions. He took the, the wrath of God for our sins on the cross. That's what he willingly went and died for. But he did none of that himself. And so, from a, from a legal standpoint, he's unjustly being punished and suffering and dying. One of the key phrases that Peter mentions is, it's actually an Old Testament uh, prophecy, or an Old Testament uh, scripture in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 53. But he says that by his wounds, we are healed. I, I don't know um, how many of you have experienced this. We've, uh, I've, I've seen it a few times where that, that term has been used for modern day healing, that that, that text is the text uh, for um, God being responsible to heal us if, if we ask him for it and, and the physical healing side of things. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I have prayed for people to be healed, and some have and some haven't. And so um, I feel like as we think about suffering, as we think about what Christ is going through and, and what he bore on his body for our sins, to have tied this verse, this idea to it, that by his wounds we are healed, um, I feel like there's more to it. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 53, where I believe uh, Peter is probably quoting this particular text, Isaiah chapter 53 uh, in verse, uh, verses 4 through 6, he says this. Surely he, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own ways, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Obviously, in this context, you can see that the, that the healing that is being brought, it's the healing from our sin, the transgressions, the, that, the, the very thing that separates us from the presence of God, from the relationship that God has intended us to have. The, those are the things that Jesus is bearing on himself in the crucifixion at this very moment in our text. I believe that it's very important for us to take a minute and allow the weight of that to bear on our own hearts. That the very sin that I choose to do even today is paid for by the blood and suffering of Jesus. And he was innocent. He was sinless. And yet he willingly obeyed the will of his Father and went to the cross for you and for me. What a profound truth. What a great hope that the God of the universe that sees the hearts of man, that knows the condition of our 
own uh, of who we are today and yet still sent his son to the cross for you and for me. You know, one of the things that Peter says in, in that text is that Jesus is our example. How many of you guys want to sign up for this? Jesus came to his disciples and said, come and follow me. I don't remember them getting the, uh, the disclaimer. You know, the things we do for youth group events. You can't hold us liable if anybody dies from this event. Jesus didn't give his disciples that. Isn't that interesting? He says, come and follow me. And as they're following him, they begin to see the realities of what's coming. I think it's interesting that Jesus does warn them, and in so doing warns us, uh, that, that we will follow his example and that, it, that there is suffering that comes for those who follow Jesus. Look at what he says in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. For if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world or I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. one of the things, every time I read that passage, one of the things that I wrestle with is, man, am I any different than the world? I really don't feel like the world hates me for my faith, my, my, my position of faith. And we may be getting closer to the opportunity for that, but at, at times I really, I really wrestle with that. And so Jesus is warning his disciples that to be prepared for this. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to obey me, if you're going to live for me, then the world's going to hate you. There is going to be suffering. There is going to be pain and, 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 and difficulties for the believer. I think the, the challenge, again, for my own life is I'm hoping that it's not because of my own bad choices that I suffer. It's for actually choosing to follow the Lord and, and being a, a, you know, a godly disciple, <clears throat> not a worldly one. But there's an amazing truth in this, and um, the question that came out of this for me as I'm watching Jesus do this, how did he, how did he handle this? How did he stay on the cross? How did, he, how did he willingly follow the will of his Father? We know that he, that he asked that question, you know, God, if there's, if there's any way for this cup to be passed, if there's any other way, and he, he went to, to the Lord three times. And he finished with, not my will, but yours be done. What's so amazing to me is it's the, 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 I think the key to this is actually in the insults that they're throwing at him. It's in the insults that prophesied in in. Uh, Psalm 22, it's in the insult that we see in the Gospel of John, uh, verses 19 through 22, and that is that Jesus was trusting in the Lord. 
his hope, his, his trust, his faith, his, uh, he adored him. And that's where his focus was at, was on the one who judges rightly. Did you, you saw that in, in the gospel? That he put his hope in there and his trust in them. I think that was in 1 Peter. We see this reflected in Psalm 91. Psalm 91 has been this great encouragement for me over the last couple of weeks. I've been, I've been reading it and just being really challenged by it. And I want to share with you just a couple of verses out of there. When we think about trusting the Lord, when we think about following Christ's example of, of trusting God the Father, even when we're in difficult times, when things are painful for us. Actually, sometimes I think it's harder to trust the Lord when things aren't painful, isn't it? Like when things are going really good, it's hard to, when, you, when you've got that stick of butter on a corn dog stick rolled in white sugar, you're just, it's hard to trust Jesus at that moment, isn't it? I don't think that's good, but I've been, that's been on my head ever since it was said, so I thought I better get it out and get done with that. If you look in Psalm 91, you're going to see that the psalmist is writing about this God that's a refuge a God that shows up in time of need, a God that is faithful, a shield, a, a rock, a fortress. He mentions all of these things. And then in verse 40, uh, verses 14 through the end of the chapter, 14, 15, and 16, the, the, the script changes just a little bit. And look at what it says. Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You see that in, in that text? The psalmist is praising God. He's praising and, and, and celebrating his confidence and his trust in the Lord being available to him. And in the midst of that, God shows up into this conversation and says, For the one who clings to me in love, I will do these things and ends with, I will show him my salvation. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There's more than one text in the Old Testament that tells us that God rescues those and is a fortress for those who trust him and, and protects those who trust him and gives them long life. I don't think any of them probably loved God more than Jesus. And, and followed him more faithfully than Jesus. And would you and I describe Jesus' situation as being rescued and saved? Would you? Uh, not from a human perspective, right? 33 is pretty young. It gets younger every day for me. 33 seems like a pretty young age to end your life. Have it taken away unjustly. I mean, in every other situation, we, we, would, be, we would be advocates for protecting and, and getting the right thing done in that spot. And if we're looking at it from a human perspective, then yes, Jesus' life was cut short. But when we look at it from an eternal perspective, it starts to make a whole different view for us. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. 16 through 18. So do, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing uh, uh, for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Were Paul's afflictions light? Was the the church suffering light and momentary affliction at that time? What we know from history is that uh, not in our book, uh, they were being killed for being martyred for being Christians. Uh, I mean, all of the disciples, except for John, who they tried to martyr him several times, that he lived through a couple of horrible experiences, being boiled in oil, I believe, was one of them. Uh, not a big fan of that one. But they've all, they were suffering great ex- at a great extent for their faith. And, and it was oftentimes that they were being killed and, and, and tortured and, and used for entertainment as the church grew. And here Paul is and Paul's saying that this light and momentary affliction, light and momentary. I'm thinking light and momentary like traffic jams. Right? That's light and momentary affliction. Not dying. And yet that's what Paul says. How? Because he's got an eternal perspective about the glory and the God of the universe that he's trusting in. His hope is in Christ. It's in God the Father. It's in this plan that is being perfected on the cross. That we have the benefit of, of seeing the results of. So what are they looking forward to? What are we trusting in? What are we anticipating? We have the privilege of having Scripture that actually tells us what's coming. We're not going to read all of the book of Revelation, so just take a deep breath. But we are going to read a couple verses. Because there's a spectacular moment that's coming for you and for me. If we are His children, if we have chosen to accept the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, if we've made that decision in our life, then we have a great and expectant hope that's coming for us. In Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Glory to God. That's what we're anticipating. That's the hope that we have. That's how Paul could say that in this light and momentary affliction, because when this body is done, when our life here on this earth is done, as his children, as as children of God, we get to anticipate heaven, the presence of God. And I believe that's what Jesus was trusting in, knowing that his father, when he had completed his work, he was going to raise him up and seat him at his right hand. And he was going to give him glory. And he was going to put the rest of the world as a, foot, as, a, as a footstool for him. He was going to put him in his right place. 
And Jesus, in ex- expectation of the, f- uh, the faithfulness of his father, faithfully followed the will of his father and died a horrible and gruesome death. And he warned his disciples ahead of time, if you follow me, they're going to hate you just like they hate me. Isn't that incredible that the, that the, the, the prophecy of the insults out of Psalm 22 happened to be, I think, one of the very things that Christ did was depending on his relationship with the Lord. He was trusting in the love of his Father and the relationship of his Father because he was the Son of God. And God fulfilled his purposes at that moment on the cross that included great suffering and pain for Jesus because he took that for you and for me so that we don't have to experience it. You know, one of the things I realized, we may suffer physically here on this earth. We may even suffer for our faith at some point on this earth. But by the grace of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, you and I will never experience the wrath of God as his children and will never experience the abandonment of God. We don't get that because Jesus took it and paid for it. Yay! Let's not lose hope. Don't, don't, don't give up in this process. It's light and momentary. Isn't it funny? I don't know how many of you are willing to testify to this, but if you are, well, I won't, let's just not say a name. If you are experienced in life, you're mature in age, you can testify to how, how brief life really is, right? There, there's a point as which is when we're young, it feels like it takes forever for anything to happen. It doesn't seem to matter what it is. It could be Christmas. It could be birthdays. It could be a spanking. You're waiting for your dad to come into that room with a stick. Holy cow, that's an eternity. Whatever it is, though, in this life, is when we're young, it feels like it's taking forever. Things are going so slow. But as we get older, we begin to realize how quick life is, how very, very, very short and temporary, this physical life is. So yes, most likely we're going to experience some pain and difficulty. And there's even a chance that, uh, that we may start, we may see a time where Christianity and following God becomes something that is not accepted even in this country, which is hard to even imagine for me, having grown up here and seen this place. But that there's there's a good chance it's happening all around the world. All around the world, it's illegal to be Christians. So that suffering's happening today. But we have a hope. I believe we have the same hope that Christ had. That kept him on the cross. That kept him from defending himself and 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 calling down the angels that he could have called down, and put an end to the whole thing. The question, I guess, that I'm wrestling with, am I trusting God? Are we trusting God? Do we know this God of the Bible so that we can trust Him? Doesn't that blow your mind? 28 generations ahead of time, He he lays out almost the whole event of that day. Twenty. You should go back and see how many greats that would be for your grandparents. Great, 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 great. You'd have to 
I do my sandals too. Wow. That's incredible. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross, to pay for the sins that we have, to, to, show, to lead us by example what it means to trust God, even when life gets difficult. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for you this week? Can we live with hope? Let me rephrase that. Can we live with hope? Okay, good. We can if we know what it is. We can if we know where it's anchored, where it's, the foundation is. Our hope is definitely not in this earthly dwelling place. Our hope is in God. It's in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who we're getting to watch suffer in obedience for the will of his Father. Let's pray, and would you consider with me this morning how our lives would look different, how our hope and our rejoicing, our worship would be different if we were really trusting God. Father, uh, Lord, the, the physical life is so present, it's so immediate, it's, it's right in front of me, it's always right in front of me, and, and um, the gift of pain reminds me that, that our lives are short and that they're temporary. And yet, Father, the, the gift of your word, um, it, it should triumph over all of my physical issues and physical needs, all of my uh, personal emotional uh, concerns, our, our economic, our, our political, our social, whatever those things are, Lord, your word should trump that in our lives. It should be the victory cry. It should be the, what we see in, in Psalm 91, the refuge, your, our fortress, you're our hope. So, God, the, the first thing that I think we all need to do in, at times is confess that we're, we have our eyes on the wrong stuff. And I'm easily distracted by this world and by this life. So, Father, forgive me this morning for allowing um, anything, politics, possessions, finances, work, money, or uh, health, car issues, neighbor issues, family issues, church issues, issues, all of those things, Lord, forgive me for allowing those things to take a higher place of authority in my life than your word. Forgive me for trusting in my own ability to figure things out and to protect my family or to provide for my family above your word and your provision and your protection. God, the worry and the anxiety that I see in my heart is almost always based on events that are happening in life. And I, I'm convicted and encouraged again to re be reminded, Lord, that where we're going, where your children go, the hope that we have is that the God of the universe has chosen to make his dwelling place with us.
adopted us as children. And through the death and horrible suffering of your son, Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, you, um, you have made a way for us to stand in the presence of the holy God. So, Father, we want to lean on that. We want to learn to trust you more, which I know means that you're going to give us more opportunities for growth. But, God, that is eternal and not temporal. And we want to be focused on that. So, as we go out this week, Lord, I just pray that you'd put in each of our hearts and, and in front of each of us the eternal value of your kingdom, the eternal value of our relationships with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends. that we would be empowered and, and, and find uh, boldness to talk about the truth of the gospel, the hope that is in you, the hope that we have in you, or those who have none. God, we want all of this for your glory and none of our own. And we ask that you would do it in such a way, Lord, that only you get the credit. And we thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. Won't you join us in our final song, Because He Lives.
we live. To the death that you died, we died with you, that we might live unto God. We are crucified with Christ. And it is no longer that we who live, but you live through us, Lord. All things have become new, and we can rest in that reality, Father. That is the reality that we are charged with to believe through faith in your Son. And that's the drive and the motivation every single day as the days are only going to get harder. And, Father, you're going to remain the same. And so, Father, I, I am equally as convicted. And I just pray that um, you would just continue to move in all of our hearts and in mind to trust and to believe every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a good week.